Merry Christmas. Uh, thank you. Uh, my name is Nathaniel. Welcome. Thank you very much. And that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Um, you might have noticed in my picture, I had Star Wars toys. My Christmas is pretty much still the same, always. <laughs> and so, yeah, we have a lot of fun with those photos, though. And I actually just had a family Christmas for extended family uh, last weekend. And part of getting these photos together are the big portraits. You guys know how it goes, right? You've got the mom or the tia that's out there, and she's saying, hey, 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 everyone here, eyes here, eyes here, right? And you've got the maybe little nephew who's in the front row, and he's picking his nose the whole time, and you're trying to get him to stop just to look at the camera. There's a lot going on to get these photos to happen. With that, though, there's also kind of a, a more negative side that's going on in the background during those photos. Sometimes, you know, at these family things, we have a, a little bit of tension. A little bit of dis disagreements, some awkward things going on, uh, more serious disagreements, personalities that clash. You guys know what I'm talking about. We have these things within our families. And holidays can actually sometimes be really hard because of these differences and possibly even divisions with, within families. And you know, some are legit and some really aren't, but it can make a family event feel like a chore just to go to it. And you may even feel unwelcome coming up as we look toward Christmas and a family event that will be happening. Or, you know, maybe you might be on the side where there's a family member that you have not made feel very welcome. These are just realities around the holidays. And so if we look at an awkward family photo of God's family, it would be the church. It would be all of us. And just like our families have certain dysfunctions or disagreements, we see that even within God's family, these things pop up now and again. And so as a side note, because I am still a fairly new preacher for all of you, and so when I say the church throughout today and really just in the future, just so you know, I'm talking about the global church. If I mean Grace Fishers specifically, I will say Grace Fishers Church, okay? So, just putting that out there so you know where we're kind of moving and how I communicate. And so God uses family as a way to describe his people throughout scripture and throughout history. Israel comes from a family. The 12 tribes of Israel were brothers coming out of a family. Paul describes how we're adopted into God's family when we become Christians. So family is how God looks at us. It's how he looks at the church and how he wants us to think about ourselves even. And like I said, there's some of those dysfunctions that kind of come with that, some of the difficulties. The early church dealt with a really big division within the family. People were divided on how Jews and Gentiles were supposed to interact. And so they're talking about Christian Jews, those Christians, those who follow Jesus Christ but come from a Jewish background, or Gentile, which is really just anyone else, anyone who's not Jewish. And so we have this situation that's forming where they're trying to figure out, okay, how's this work now? Because God's people used to just be Israel, and now it's everyone, because Jesus' salvation is offered to all. And so there's this question, okay, do Gentiles who are coming into the faith, 
Do they need to kind of be Jewish a little bit? Do they need to do Jewish customs? Do they need to follow the Old Testament law? You know, I'm sure there's so many Gentiles, you know, especially Gentile men at the time, like there would be today, who were like, you know, I I heard there's that circumcision piece. Are you sure we have to do that part? (laughs) There was, it was a heated debate. There's a lot of things that they just didn't know what to do with because this was new. God's family looked different and new. Now, Paul addresses this issue in his letter to the Romans, a mostly Gentile community who were being pressured by Jewish Christians to follow Jewish law and custom. And so his response, Paul's response to this issue is going to lead us to our text today in Romans 10, and we'll get there in a little bit, but we're going to see how the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, addresses the differences and the differences and the divisions within God's family. Now, what we're gonna do today is we're gonna break down our application into kind of three parts. First is gonna be the church, because this is Paul's audience. This is who Paul is addressing directly. So our direct application is the church as a whole, including us. And then we're gonna talk about the world, because the world holds a completely different viewpoint than the church does. So how do we interact with a world that thinks differently than we do? And then the last one is our families, because it's the holidays. Christmas is coming up, we just had Thanksgiving, so a lot of this stuff might be very fresh in your mind because you just experienced it. Whether our families are Christian, not Christian, a mix of both, how do we interact in the midst of difference and possibly even division? Now to get us started, there's gonna be a couple applications for all three of these applications. First, that we acknowledge that differences exist. It does no good to just assume that there's nothing wrong and everything's good and we all agree on everything because that's just not reality. Paul doesn't shy away from these differences. He doesn't shy away from one of the hardest issues of their time. He addresses it, brings it forward because the truth is differences will always exist amongst groups of people. Whether we're talking about everyone here this morning gathered together, or if we're talking about our families, differences are just gonna exist because we're different people. But division does not have to be the result of difference. And then number two, know that there is a solution. We're not left in the dark, there is a solution, and it's a solution that Paul reaches, and that solution is that Jesus unifies, despite differences, and heals division. Jesus unifies despite difference and heals division. Our divisions, our disagreements, all the things that kind of come between relationship, all those awkward moments that happen, they can be reconciled in the person and work of Jesus Christ in the church, in the world, and within our families. So let's see how that happens. Our passage today is Romans 10, 9 through 13. So please open your Bibles up there, load them up. It's page 943 for those using the Bibles that we have here in the chairs. And as you're turning there, the context of our passage is that Romans is written with this backdrop of the Jew and Gentile issue. And there's no way we can really kind of cover all the details of this because we would have to go through all of Romans and there's many preachers who spend years doing that and so we don't have time. But to give you a real quick look, this is really quick, okay? 
as we lead up to Romans 10, 9 through 13, Paul is saying that Israel has pursued salvation through the law. Now, the law is the law of Moses, which God gave to Israel to be able to show Israel and show us even today that we need salvation, that we cannot be perfect like God is perfect. And so we need his grace to come in and intervene and save us. That's, that's what the law is supposed to do. However, at the time of Jesus and when this letter is written, those Jews who did not accept Jesus as the Messiah had convinced themselves that their efforts to hold to the letter of the law was salvation itself. Had nothing to do with God, really. They had kind of cut God right out of the equation, which was never the intent of the law. So what Paul is saying is that the law had become a stumbling stone for Jews because they had got caught up in keeping the law without thinking of relationship with God. And so at the time, it became easier for Gentile Christians to come in and follow Jesus Christ because they didn't know what the law was. And so the stumbling stone just wasn't there in front of them. And so that's kind of setting up this this uh, passage. And so Christian Jews at the time are upset and shaming Christian Gentiles because they know that the law reflects God's holiness and it's a good thing, but they're missing grace and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, on the other hand, it's not just one-sided. On the other hand, Christian Gentiles are mocking Christian Jews for legalism and at the same time experiencing a lot of hurt for culturally inappropriate applications of the law. But they're missing the importance of holiness and discipline within their lives. And so there's differences and there's disagreements and division happening here. So super simplified, Paul is explaining the situation. He's acknowledging that this is really important and we need to talk about this and that it's really difficult. So let's look at the church. Let's apply some of this situation to the church. Well, we, as the church, have differences. We all do. If we look at the global church, it is radically different depending on where you're at, what language you're speaking, what culture you're in. There's differences. And even here at Grace Fisher's Church, we have differences. People with different perspectives and viewpoints and cultural backgrounds. There's differences, and it's natural, and it's okay. We want to accept that. You know, some of these differences within the church are theological, and one question that uh, I've even heard people are on both sides of the camp, even here today, I, I know it's true, is the question of can you lose your salvation, or perseverance of the saints, and as I say, both sides are Christian on that, but there's differences theological views, some are philosophical. Should we focus more on global or local missional efforts? It's a different view on how we may do ministry within the local church. It's different, or some are stylistic. This auditorium is fantastic, and some may think we should have a more traditional looking space, you know, with pews and all that. Some are stylistic, but they're differences. They're different opinions. Some are really big differences, some are really not that big, but they do exist. And we're not gonna always get our preference, we're not always gonna get our way, and sometimes we will get our preference and sometimes we will get our way. But the church is diverse, and that's a beautiful thing. 
At the time of Paul, the Gentiles were new to God's family, and they brought a new perspective with them. For the first time, we see an influx of those with no Jewish background coming into this faith. And so their culture, their worldview, it changes the way the church looks. And the same thing happens even today. And with shifting gears, it happens within our families too. Our families are not always going to agree and they're going to change over time. My brother, he married a girl from Kentucky. Now, my family does not hunt. Nobody has ever has. However, as you can guess already, he married someone from Kentucky, so, well, my brother now hunts. <laughs> and nobody else still does. But he talks about it. He likes it. He has the guns. He'll go out to my parents' place out in the country, and he'll sight his rifle and, and do all this stuff, you know, shoot Bambi's mom, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but it's a difference. It's a new thing that's part of our family. And honestly, it could have caused division. What if somebody in our family was really against hunting? It really could have caused an issue. But our families change. Dif differences happen, and new differences pop up. And so let's think about maybe a, a different example within my own family. Uh, politics, which I'm sure all of you are super excited about talking about. In my immediate family, we've got more conservative-minded individuals, more liberal-minded individuals. We've got a few libertarians sprinkled in there. And we talk about it at the holidays. It's exciting. <laughs> that could cause a lot of division, as I'm sure you guys may even know. So the question really begins, are we going to allow those differences, any difference, to be divisive within our families. And then if we look at the world, non-believers and believers, totally different worldviews. They look at things completely different. Are we as the church gonna draw apart from the world and be divided from it, or are we going to engage in a healthy way that influences and speaks to the beauty of the gospel? Are we gonna stay in our corner just because it's hard and there's differences. Paul is beseeching his readers to look at the differences and recognize how serious they are and how easy division can happen. But he's saying there's an answer. He says there's an answer, something that makes it so that division doesn't have to happen. And that is that salvation through Jesus Christ is for everyone, even those different than you. Salvation through Jesus is for everyone. So let's look in our passage today, verse 9, Romans 10, verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that Jesus is God, who became man without losing any divinity, and that he died the ultimate payment for all the evil that I've done, you've done, everyone's done, which we call sin. 
those things that are against his heart. And then he died for that, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later and he ascended into heaven. And by his death and resurrection and ascension, our sin is forgiven and we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ forever beyond death. That is salvation. That is amazing. And you believe that? And you declare it, as he says here in verse 9 and 10, then you are saved. No matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, what your background is, what your standing in society may be, you believe and declare you are saved. And the same thing is true for the person on the other side of the table from you. No matter what they believe or have done or who they are or where they come from if they believe this they are saved our salvation unifies and that salvation is also freely available and it is assured. In verse 11, it says, as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. In the original language, this phrase, uh, never be disgraced, is saying that they're not going to be disappointed. And so what Paul is saying is that if you believe and declare, you are saved and you will not be disappointed in the outcome. You don't have to second guess for yourself or for somebody else. You don't have to second guess. You can be assured that salvation is there and available and happens. You will not be disappointed. We know that true faith in Jesus Christ saves no matter who you are, what you have done, or who they are, or what they have done. So if we go into verse 12, Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul is just giving it to us straight. He's saying, I know that there's differences. I know differences exist and I know there's division and it's hard. But Jew, Gentile, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. That's what is important. And so let's apply this. Let's look at the church. Every believer has the same salvation. Now, you may be more mature in your faith. You may more, have more knowledge, but you're not better. You may have certain gifts and talents that are used in amazing ways. You're not better. You may have been raised in the church or you may not have been raised in the church. <laughs> Neither one's better. And Grace Fisher's church is amazing. And I love it here. And I love what God is doing. But guess what? We're not better than other Christians and other churches. We have our differences all kinds of differences, Republican, Democrat, wealthy, poor, hunter, animal activist, whatever it is, privileged, oppressed. We have differences. You may be different races, different genders. Whatever is happening, whatever the difference is, it exists. 
but you're not better. They're not better. We are the same in our salvation. Our differences need not divide us because we are unified in our salvation through Jesus Christ. In fact, in Romans 12, Paul continues to be rather blunt with us. He basically says, in light of that truth, that our differences need not divide us because we're unified in our salvation through Jesus Christ, this is how we should act. Romans 12, 10, love each other with genuine affection. And, and this, this is the harder part, take delight in honoring each other. Now, if we keep that in mind, just that simple phrase, the simple sentence, if we keep that in mind, our interactions with one another within the church, even when we find differences, will be more fruitful, more satisfying, and it's going to be a source of joy, not division, even when there's differences. And so let's continue our application to families that are full of Christians. So let's say your family has all Christians, okay? And that's not everybody, so hold on, we'll, we'll get there. But families that are Christians. Now, this application that we just had for the church, guess what? If your family is full of Christians, you are the, the church. And so the application is rather simple. Do that, what we just talked about. And yet, we may find that there's a disconnect with the way we treat our families, even if we're all believers, and the way that we're supposed to treat brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. And as Paul does, we must address this. That's a conversation that should be had. If everyone is a Christian, then this should really not be completely new news and should be applied within our families as well as the church on Sundays or other days. Okay, let's jump to the world now, okay? And so you may be thinking, okay, that's all good and well, believer, believer, Christian, and Christian, we kind of have this command, this, this uh, common salvation, but what about the world? We step into a world that's full of people who don't believe what we believe, who don't have that salvation right now. And you know, really, it, it might even be full of hostile people because of our salvation. How, how does our salvation impact how we meet differences and divisions in the world around us? Even a hostile one. Well, Paul makes the same jump in his reasoning he knows that this is kind of the next step, you know, when we're talking about this issue. So he shifts from how we act as brothers and sisters in the church, in the first part of Romans 12, to how our relationship with God informs our response to a world that is different than us. Perhaps even hostile, but definitely different. So let's look at Romans 12, verses 14 through 18. Paul says that we should bless those who persecute. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. 
Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So how does Jesus impact our actions toward others who hold different views, including even sinful ones? Well, he gives us quite a few things here, so let's look at it. We are to, one, bless and pray for them. Now, this is not going up to someone and being like, hmm, you really need Jesus? I'll be praying for you. <laughs> That's not what this is about. <laughs> he is saying, come in and just be kind. Just be kind to people, even and especially if they're hostile toward you. Just be kind. And that's really hard to do, and I get that. Just beg God, hey, give me a heart of kindness. And when you don't want to, beg even harder. <laughs> but just be kind to other people. Number two, celebrate and mourn with them. Participate in people's lives. A friend of mine, he got married, and they're not Christian at all. Like, at all. And their lifestyle is... Uh, well, it doesn't align with God's heart in any way at all. And so my friend, he, he knows my position on things. He, he knows where I stand with the way that they live their lives. But I went to their wedding. I celebrated. We had a good time. He knows where I stand, and that hasn't changed. He knows that too. But I celebrated life with him. And when things go wrong, I grieve. I mourn. Even if it is a result of sinful behavior. I just live life. Participate in life. Love does not stop just because we disagree on something. Love does not stop just because we may be right about something. So celebrate and mourn with others. Three, kill our self-righteousness. There's this idea that I see so often within Christians that we know truth. And thus we, we must have something to say about everything. We don't know everything. We may know some truth, and that is only by God's grace. It is God's truth that he has revealed to us. If anything, us knowing the gospel should actually reveal how depraved we actually are. There should be no pride, but rather humility. So kill our self-righteousness. Put it to death. There's no pride in being a Christian there's just God's grace. And that humility allows us to interact with people in love, patience, and generosity when otherwise we wouldn't be able to. Number four, treat them with respect. Respect others. If we're humble and truly believe that Jesus' salvation is for everyone, even that person across the table from us, then we are going to respect them and treat them with love because we know that God respects them and God loves them. I have this conversation with my kids pretty often. And I'll say, hey, I love you so much. And you're really great and amazing. And you're special to me. 
but the truth is you're not more special than anyone else. I'm not more special than you are. You're not more special than your friend or your classmate. And so we need to be kind to other people. It's a pretty simple lesson to teach your children, but uh, adults, you're not more special than everyone else. (laughs) Don't forget that. We must treat everyone with respect and kindness. Number five, lastly, sacrifice for them so that we may live in harmony. A world that sees Christians as judgmental, hypocritical, and hostile will see a God that is the same. And unfortunately, that is the perspective of so many people in this world. What good does it do if you're a jerk to others in the supposed name of Jesus? It does no good at all. In fact, it's just going to push people away from the gospel. It's going to push people away from Jesus Christ, who they need desperately. But if you sacrifice, if you sacrifice getting that last word in, sacrifice just being right all the time, Sacrifice making sure other people know that you're right. Then you leave yourself in a position where you can love others in a genuine, authentic way. Especially when they know that you disagree with them. And that is going to lead to more curiosity about who God is. It's going to lead to better conversation and relationship. And at the very least, it's just honoring God and the way that we treat others. So now let's jump into kind of my last part, the last application. What about families that has a mixture of believers and non-believers? When we have a family of believers, everyone takes a little bit of the responsibility and moves forward and there's unity and salvation. Cool, but that's probably not your family. That's probably not what Christmas is going to look like in a few weeks. So what do we do? Well, I'm going to be really, 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 really blunt with all of you. It's completely on you. It is your responsibility to do exactly what we just talked about in situations that may be really hard to do it. We as believers, as Christians, those who follow Jesus Christ, we must swallow our pride and treat our families the way that Romans 12 lays out for us. And you're going to experience pushback and you're going to have that relative who's going to start pushing your buttons because they're just wanting that response and they're going to want that to come out of you. But our salvation in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who dwells within us because of it gives us courage and power to return any of that hostility with love. We don't have to continue the same cycle of brokenness in our families. And maybe just slowly with difficulty over time, there's going to be a shift in culture. 
because you're bringing nothing but love to the table. What better witness for God and the beautiful salvation that he offers than for you to show that love to your families this Christmas? And I know, I do, I know it's not easy and it's difficult. It's not easy. But really, the best things in life never are, are they? Let's pray. Father, you are good and holy. You are better than we deserve. And we are grateful that you have invited us into relationship with you. And to take it even a step further, we are grateful that you have invited everyone into a relationship with you. And we humbly ask that you use us in some way to be able to show your glory to a world around us, to our families, to our friends, to one another within the church. Let us serve you in all that we do. Let us serve you in the way that we act, in the way that we treat others, the way that we sacrifice throughout our lives so that we can honor you and that we can bring glory to you above all things. Father, you are good. Thank you. In your name. Amen.